My wife was waiting right there at the door of the airport, so shuttle delivery, thank you, great to be here. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're going through the book of Hebrews, which really is an amazing book, because it gives us a little insight into what was going on in the hearts and minds of some of the first century disciples. It was written uh, after the church had already been around for 30, 35 years. And uh, what's interesting is, even when you look through the Gospels, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus was talking about his second coming, in the same context, he was also talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, if you look carefully at the teaching in the Gospels, you'll see that he isn't saying they're going to be at the same time. But there was sort of a rumor in the first century church that Jesus was coming soon, and like really soon. And so, uh, you know, people, if, you know, if we knew that Jesus was coming back, like, really soon, if we, if we just knew that for a fact, we just were convinced of it, uh, I do believe all of us would feel differently. Yeah. I mean, as it is right now, who's planning tonight that Jesus is coming back after the service? <laughs> or, or, you know, even in the middle of the sermon, or, you, you know, he's coming back tomorrow, and maybe depending on what's happening tomorrow, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> Uh, Of course, no matter what we're doing, nothing's going to compare to how amazing it will be for Jesus to come back. And uh, for the faithful to be gathered to him, it will be an awesome experience. But the book of Hebrews is written because uh, it's written to the Jewish Christians, and it was written to Jewish Christians who'd been there for a while. They'd been faithful for a while. And uh, not only had Jesus not come back yet, uh, actually... Um, the temple had not yet been destroyed, and that was definitely a marker they knew was going to mark the beginning of these times. But what, what was interesting was uh, everything hadn't quite worked the way they thought, and they'd watched disciples even lose their property. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament, they had a lot of material promises. If you were a faithful Jew, you could expect a good life. It, it was a sort of prosperity gospel, uh, the Old Testament promises. But uh, these Christians were a little discouraged because things hadn't gone exactly the way they thought. And they'd known brothers and sisters even thrown in prison, died in prison. People had been stoned and and persecuted for their faith. And, And it wasn't quite as glorious as they thought. And what the Hebrew writer is trying to say to them is, remember Jesus. We all want to get where Jesus is right now, right? He's in heaven. And through a miracle of the gift of the Holy Spirit, he's also in us as well. But there's the person of Jesus at the right hand of God. He's finished his race. He is, you know, where he wants to be at the right hand of God. And he's calling us to himself. And so that's what the book of Hebrews is about. Uh, The book of Hebrews is about encouraging these disciples who've been in the fight for a while. And knowing that not everything had gone just the way that they had hoped it would. So in the first chapter of Hebrews, we see this message. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He is, in fact, God in the flesh. It's an amazing message. And then in the second sort of lesson in chapter 2, we see that Jesus became just like us. That is the most mind-boggling thought. That part of the divinity that created the universe we live in actually was willing to go into human form. That is amazing. And not only that, he's not only our brother in the flesh, he's a hero. He was on an epic journey. Who who likes epic stories? You know, where the hero battles through and there's some great reward that he's after. and, and, And he goes through that and he's always changed. 
And even, interestingly, it talks about Jesus becoming perfect. Not that He wasn't morally perfect to start with, but to become our perfect Savior, to be the perfect example for us, He had to live in the flesh like us and show it Show us how it's done. And so he became the author and perfecter of our faith. And that word author is also translated hero. He's the originator. He is the, the champion. And then last time we were looking in Hebrews, we looked at a, a kind of a negative lesson. And sadly, sometimes you can learn from positive example, but sometimes it's effective to see a bad example. Because you look at a bad example and you go, I don't want it to end like that. And so bad examples can be effective. And, and actually, it was the nation of Israel that the writer was using as a bad example. After having been freed from Egypt and slavery, rather than just giving all their hearts to God, some were looking back, some were trying to make compromises, some were even trying to mix with the native peoples around them. In other words, they weren't doing what God had asked them to do. And so many of them didn't succeed because of their unfaithfulness. They weren't able, in fact, to enter the promised land. And both Paul and the writer of Hebrews draw a lesson from that. That we need to be faithful in this covenant relationship with God. That we need to maintain and and follow our Savior, Jesus. And so we come to today's lesson, following Jesus through temptation and suffering. But you know, you could also look at this as Jesus following us through our temptation and suffering. And maybe when you first think of that, you go, well, I don't know if I want to go there. But here's just a question. Who's felt temptation in the last week? Okay, who's felt suffering in the last week? I mean, if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to go through these things. And what's encouraging about this particular focus and lesson is God had a purpose for Jesus as he went through his temptation and suffering. And he actually has the same purpose for us. And so we're following our hero. He's already walked this path. Now, Jesus had to walk his path perfectly to get to heaven. The great news for us is we simply have to walk faithfully. Perfection has been tackled already. That's been done. Jesus has blazed the trail for us. The trail is already, through his resurrection, established. But we're also on an epic journey... And if we're going to follow with Jesus, we have to understand something. We're going to go through temptation, and we're going to go through suffering. It's actually part of what He's promised us. But through it, He's going to work incredible things in our hearts. He's going to help us understand Jesus better. He's going to help us understand the mission of Jesus more completely. And actually change us and transform us. Now, we'll be changed and transformed in a twinkling of an eye on Judgment Day because this flesh can't enter into heaven. This flesh doesn't last forever. You know, I had my 57th birthday a few weeks ago and, you know, I'm reminded yet again, it doesn't last forever. And besides that, I'm reminded pretty much every morning just getting out of bed that it doesn't last forever. But, you know, the truth is, this flesh doesn't last. And, And we know that. And yet we're going to be transformed and be made perfect in a completely new way. And we'll be with God forever in heaven. So let's just open up now to Hebrews chapter 4 and we'll start reading in verse 14. Hebrews 4 
And we'll read in verse 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't it amazing to think that God can be described here, Jesus the Son of God, as someone who empathizes, sympathizes with our weakness? He he actually understands. How does an almighty God understand Andy's weakness? God, I'm feeling tired in my heart. I'm feeling discouraged. How does God almighty understand that? Because his son Jesus goes, Andy, I know how you feel. And he maybe elbows the father a little bit and goes, Dad, I know how that guy's feeling right now. Okay? He's, he's, he's feeling burdened or tired or whatever. And I was there. I went through difficulties myself. I understand it. And so we hold firmly to the face, the faith that we profess. I just want us to watch a little clip of the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan! For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. You know, we see uh, Satan working pretty hard here, don't we? I mean, Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. And we know from the Old Testament story, Moses did a 40-day fast, Elijah did a 40-day fast. Jesus fasted for 40 days, and he was hungry. It's almost a little bit of an understatement. He was hungry. And uh, Satan says, turn these rocks into bread. 
And I like how they can kind of do this in the video. Suddenly they look like bread. You know, you can just imagine kind of reaching over and trying to grab one and take a bite out of it. I mean, you're getting pretty hungry after 40 days. But Jesus said, he answered very clearly, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, he answered the temptation with God's word. And Satan didn't just keep going on that temptation, he went on to the next one. And you know, then he's talking about um, just what he would like. You know, look at, he said, throw, first it was the pride of his, of his heart. Throw yourself down if you're the son of God. Because look, there's a scripture that says, God will take care of you. Now we would never do that, right? We, we would never test God in this way. But Jesus said, he said, don't test God. Now I remember growing up, because I'd made up my mind that I wanted to be a missionary. I kind of thought of myself as a teenager as indestructible. Because I just thought, well, God won't let anything happen to me. I've, I've made this decision. He's going to protect me. Well, I'm missing six front teeth and a few other things. Uh, it didn't really work out that way. But sometimes we just think, well, I can, you know, I can get closer to that temptation. I can, I can amass more wealth than I need. I can do this and that. And we can start thinking various things that become dangerous to us. And, can, and we're really uh, playing a dangerous game. Then he took Jesus up onto the corner of the temple and said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Wow. I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. But see, Jesus, he knew, one, it really wasn't Satan's to give. But he just said, you know, worship the Lord your only. Satan said, worship me. You know, as we look at our own lives, we understand we are being tempted And really what temptation does is it takes our focus off Jesus. What temptation does is gets us thinking about, how can I guarantee my happiness? How can I control the outcome of my life? You know, we're tempted to be materialistic because we think, if I just had more, then I would be happy. But see, does that really work? Does that really guarantee anything? We need to understand we will be tested. We will be tempted. And we need to then do what Jesus did. Use the word of God. It's the sword. It will fight back Satan's attacks. But look what he said just in verse 14. Back in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 4. Sorry, verse 16. It said, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. You know, God has only good intention for us. You can't look at the story of Jesus and not understand. God wants only the best for you. God wants you to be fulfilled. He wants you to be in heaven with Him. He wants you even right now to feel secure. He wants all of that. And it isn't simply that Jesus is waiting. Jesus, in the Spirit, is here with us now coaxing us, encouraging us, helping us. So we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you feel like you need God's grace? You know, it's, it's real, isn't it, in our lives? The sense of God's blessing, the understanding of His love, just being completely convinced of what He wants for us. Let's read a little further. You know, we haven't yet entered the perfect rest of heaven. 
But we can taste it as we pray and as we reflect on Jesus. As we, in fact, walk with Him in this life. We, we have moments where we really are filled with it. When we're actually understanding His love for us. And it's really comforting to our hearts. You know, in chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, as we keep reading through, we realize that, that Jesus didn't take this honor upon himself, but this is God's plan. Now, you know, I would say, for my understanding, my understanding of theology, if, if it had said here that this was Jesus' plan, I don't see a problem with that either, but the writer's making it very clear, this is God's plan. Jesus has been put into this position. Because Jesus humbled himself and gave up equality with God. God then raised him up and gave him back his glory after his resurrection. In chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, let's read together. It says, Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. You know, this quote that you are my son, today I've become your father, it comes from Psalm 2, where the scriptures say 1,000 years before Jesus lived, that God would install his king on the throne in Jerusalem, on Zion, the holy hill. Of course, Jerusalem was the figurative place, not the literal. It's in the throne of heaven that Jesus is in fact now put over all the universe. But Jesus was God's son, he was the Messiah, and he represents us fully. And this theme comes up more in the book of Hebrews, and we'll take it further then. But let's just read a little further in verse 7. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who would save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Again, we'll kind of follow up with this a little bit later. But despite his kingly appointment, it says that Jesus, he learned obedience. He was trained as a father trains his son. Do you have any fathers here who didn't need to train their children to obey? Just a question. Uh, You know, even God, you know, trained his child to obey. Now we think about that, we think, but Jesus, he, he wouldn't disobey. He was the son of God, but he was tempted to disobey. See, that's why this suffering comes in. When you want to do the right thing, but you can also see an easier way, that's called temptation. When you can see a shortcut that will be pleasing to you, then that's temptation. You know, we, uh, I, I skipped over it at the, at the moment, but back in John 2.15, it describes this sense of temptation by lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, 
the pride of life, the very three kind of areas that Jesus was tempted in. But see, that's exactly what happens with us in this world. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you cannot serve two masters. You know, we think possessions are something we possess, but the nature of materialism is it ends up possessing us. It ends up taking over our lives. And Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Jesus became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. And so it's interesting here. Jesus offered prayers and petitions with loud cries. Sometimes I think we'd like to picture the quiet times of Jesus just being in a beautiful, serene area where He was just kind of feeling so warm and good and thank you God, everything's just great. And you know, I know we've all had prayers like that. But do you relate to the prayers when things aren't going the way that you thought they would? Maybe you're suffering loss, maybe grief, maybe you're struggling with addictive behavior, maybe there's something going on in your life and you're not happy. And you're coming to God and you're trying to say, God, help me! Help me! Look what Jesus did. We're going to look at another clip. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. My father! If it is possible... May this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the body is weak. 
he went away a second time and prayed. for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. May your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near. And the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. You know, the good news is that wasn't every quiet time of Jesus either. Okay, that, that isn't what was happening every day. But this was part of his journey. It was part of the quest he was on. This was probably the greatest challenge he faced absolutely in his life. Because in this moment, he would be completely deserted by his very best friends. In fact, someone that had been with him... Judas, someone he'd even give the ability, given the ability to perform miracles, was actually going to betray him for money. And then people that had said, yes, we'll be your spokesman, we'll speak for you, even denied knowing him and, and scattered as soon as the soldiers came. And see, what, what we see happening here is Jesus learned obedience. Now you could say, well... He understood obedience. He was always going to be obedient. That's who he was. But until he went through the choice, he didn't really learn what God intended for him. And actually, this made him perfect. The perfect Savior for us. God could have saved us just by forgiving us from his mighty throne on high. He could have just said, accept my offer and you'll be saved. We, he could have done that. But he chose instead to send his son Jesus to call us to a life of faith and to follow him in this journey. And so we see our high priest, now at the right hand of God, 
understanding temptation, understanding suffering. So what can't he understand about our lives? Now, he also understands the good times, but I think we understand that already. It didn't need to be repeated. But he understands the tough times. And it says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And he became the source of eternal life for all who obey him. See, biblically speaking, faith always goes together with obedience. If there's no obedience going with faith, it's not a living faith. It's not an effective faith. Faith results in obedience. And so we are being trained in our day-to-day lives as we face our struggles. But who likes being taught obedience? Think of your childhood. Did you love being taught obedience? I don't think we actually grow into that until until we actually start to see the end result. You know, I think about athletes who really train hard for certain goals, and they are willing to push themselves and to suffer and to feel pain and to make sacrifices because they see the goal. And see, our goal is to be as much like Jesus as possible in this life. Paul said, whoever wants to lead a godly life will be persecuted. There will be difficulties. And so are we ready? Because Jesus is. He's completely ready to help us. You know, I don't know what you consider your greatest struggle to be. I think one of the greatest things we will struggle with in the church is relationships with each other. You know, marriage has many brilliant moments. The weddings are always pretty awesome. You know, family holidays are often pretty good. And there's a lot of meals around the dining table that are, that are just worth celebrating and talking about. But, but any relationship like that will also have its difficulties. Isn't it good to know that Jesus knows what it's like to go through difficulty? That He understands us when we're tempted to do wrong? He knows, and He knows that in training and doing what is right, there's suffering involved. Let's just read a little further. We'll pick this up in uh, chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. We'll close with this. The writer says, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Now in the context, what is he talking about? Is this knowledge or is this obedience? See, what we're learning is obedience. But are we slow to learn to obey? Is there something going in on our minds that's keeping us from just giving our hearts 100% to obey God with all the strength we have? Those temptations exist. And to obey usually means suffering. Not always, but it's connected. But it's hard to explain, he said, because you're slow to learn. In fact, by this time you ought to be teachers. In other words, you ought to be examples of obedience. You need someone to teach you again the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You know, God's purpose in our lives is for us to walk like Jesus did. 
is to enjoy the blessings of a God-filled life. But that life isn't one without temptation or without suffering. It's one with challenge. And He's equipped us to go through it. First of all, He's shown us it can be done. But secondly, He's given us His Spirit and the, the story of Jesus so that we can follow along. And He simply asks us to learn obedience. To do what God wants us to. I'm not saying do what I want you to. It's to do what God wants you to. And to really have deep convictions about God's purpose for your life. In John 8, 31 and 32 it says, To the Jews who believed in Him, Jesus said, If you hold to My teaching, you really are My disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Who would have ever thought that obedience would set you free? But if it's obedience to God, it sets you free. If you hold to His teaching, if you put it into practice, you'll be set free from sin, from guilt, from all these things. Now we have that in Christ. It's a gift. We have forgiveness. We have His grace. But we have to walk with Him. And let's be honest. Life has its moments. We all have our crosses to bear, and we all have our Gethsemanes. And we have our deserts, where it feels like we haven't eaten in 40 days. But we have a God who knows our suffering, who knows our weakness, who knows us, and completely wants to guide us through, help us through. He has done everything possible to bring us to Himself. So we we have a great picture of Jesus here. He's gone through whatever we're going through already. And He knows us. And let's just throw our lives down before Him. Each day, let's think about what does God want in my life? And let's enjoy this journey. Jesus, for the joy set before Him, endured the cross. We come to that in Hebrews 12. What do we have before us? Eternal life with God in heaven? Okay, is that a selling point? Who's got some summer plans already? Some maybe vacation plans. Anyone got some vacation plans coming? Who wishes they did? Like to get some in place. Okay, okay. We can relate to that. Why? And we look forward to those things, do we not? God has prepared a place for us in heaven. Wow! I mean, Cyprus is pretty nice, but heaven? Okay, I mean, we're talking about a serious upgrade here. And no matter what you can imagine, heaven is going to be more. Everything that we love and enjoy, the beauty uh, that's around us, and just good food and fellowship, all of these things, heaven will be even more. And in the church we feel, we have these moments where we, we taste heaven. We know it's there. We've had these moments. God wants those moments to be as often as possible. But if we're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be some other moments of trial. Not that God will leave us. But there will be temptation and there will be suffering. Just the opposite, He's with us. And He'll go through that with us and bring us through to the other side. Let's bow our heads in prayer as the worship team takes their place. Our Father and mighty God, it is so amazing.
to follow a God who humbled Himself and took human form, Father. It's beyond our understanding. And to think that You suffered, uh, Father, that, that Jesus came and suffered just like we do, and, and in some ways I can see it's even worse because He never sinned. So much of the suffering that we have in our lives comes from the consequence of our own sins and actions. And yet, Father, Jesus never sinned and yet suffered because of the sins of others. Father, really pray that we can gain encouragement from this passage. That we can approach your throne of grace with confidence, knowing that you are the God who sacrifices for us. That that is who you are. That you love us. And that you have not expected anything of us that you weren't willing to, in fact, demonstrate yourself. That you, in Jesus, lived a life here. You, through Jesus, became the author and perfecter of our faith. What an amazing gift we've been given. And I pray that as we face whatever trials we go through this week, that we'll remember Jesus. We'll remember the difficulties He went through. We remember His dependence on you. His honesty in prayer. But Father, also help us to remember that for the joy set before Him. I don't think anyone enjoys suffering. It's not normal to enjoy suffering. Father, I pray though that as we go through our difficulties, we never take our eyes off Your Son, who leads us victoriously. Father, I pray that we will not be like the Israelites, who were faithless in the desert, but will be like Your Son, who is faithful in every circumstance. And Father, we know that we will fail, that we will stumble, but we know through Your grace we can stand and just keep walking yet again. Because Your grace will cover us. It matches our shortcomings. Father, we just pray that we can also, as we talked about last week, encourage one another. See to it that no one has a sinful heart that turns away from You. But really encourage each other every day. Father, thank you for these blessings, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Andy, for that. Please let's stand. Let's close out with the revival.